0: Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The Greenville Oaks Church of Christ seeks all who need Jesus, and together are becoming His fully devoted followers, encouraging and equipping people to love God, love people, and serve others in an ever-growing way of life. Find out more about Greenville Oaks, or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. Let's uh, begin in prayer this morning as we open God's word together. God, we've just sung about uh, your goodness and that you are our God. God, I, I thank you so much for the gifts that you offer to us on a constant basis. We miss them all the time because we take them for granted, but you are present and you are active and you are at work in our world. And this morning we ask that you'd be work in our li- at work in our lives, that you would. Be present within this word that we open today, that your spirit would speak to us. And more than that, we know the spirit is always speaking. It's us that needs to open our ears and our lives and our eyes to see your kingdom as it advances. And so God, we, uh, we sit attentively. We sit with anticipation about the word that you'll uh, insert into our lives this morning that we can put into action this week in some way. And I pray everyone would leave this morning with a surer sense of, of your calling on their lives, of your grace and your mercy and work in their lives and encouraged to go at it one more week. Uh, Sometimes that's all it takes, God. That's what we need is one more day, the reminder of one more minute of your grace and mercy. And today I pray you would provide that. I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Jesus' ministry didn't begin as you would expect it to begin. We talked about this last week in an interesting scene at his hometown synagogue. No, Jesus' ministry is not all up and to the right. It has its ups and it has its downs. And in fact, at the end of the story, as we'll come to a little bit later, it looks like it's over before God does what God always does, does the miraculous work in the midst of the bleakness and the darkness of crucifixion. See, the best stories that we know, our favorite stories in the world, always have conflict as a part of that story, right? We don't really like the success story where someone tells their story and they say, well, I was, I was born into privilege and, and every single step along the way has just been one more step of success. No, those stories aren't interesting, Right? The stories that we're most intrigued by are stories of challenge, stories where people have hurdles to overcome, sometimes demons that they have to see exercised in their own lives. And sometimes it's things that are outside of their control that become conflicts on the way to the story of what God does. And so if right now you're in one of those seasons of challenge, let me reframe that for you. It's an opportunity for God to come through and for you to have a testimony, to share a story of what God has done. I want to encourage you this morning to continue to have faith and hope in the midst of those struggles, because Jesus and his story was a similar story. The best stories are ones of overcoming challenge. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus' story was like that. In fact, we have a God that's unlike no other God because of the challenges that Jesus went through, the temptations that he faced. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 4, a reminder to us of the God that we worship. Hebrews 4 verse 14, therefore... This is a unique story across all the world religions, a God who comes to earth and faces these kinds of challenges and temptations. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us, to empathize, to know the challenges that we walk through. And that is a unique gift. Our God was tempted in every way on planet earth and Jesus sits at the right hand of the father, but not without a few bumps and bruises along the way. The last two stories from the last couple of Sundays have reminded us us of this, that the response to Jesus' ministry and his preaching and teaching wasn't always positive. There were challenges that came along the way. Uh, There's ominous hints also in these early stories of what will end up being Jesus' demise a little later in the story. Uh, For instance, back to the temptation story in the wilderness. Jesus faced these challenges and was able to talk them down, reminding uh, the evil one of Scripture that actually was the truth that needed to be spoken in those scenes. But listen in Luke chapter 4. This is where we'll spend the rest of our time in the Gospel of Luke in chapters 4 and 5 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open there with me. Listen to this though, Luke 4 verse 13. This is after that temptation scene where Jesus had defeated the temptations in the wilderness for 40 days. It says, when the devil had finished all this tempting... He left him until an opportune time. It's like a to-be-continued in the story, right? This is not the last time we're going to see the devil's work in the gospel, in Jesus' life. Now he's gone away and he's been defeated, but he's looking and searching for a time it will be the right time to maybe take the Son of God down. Apparently, the devil's going to reappear, and so we listen with anticipation. Maybe this is a reminder in our own lives that even the greatest defeats The times we say no to the evil one, there's still that devil that's lurking in our lives to tempt us in ways. And scripture is our defeat against that. And then Jesus enters into his first sermon at Nazareth. We told this story last week. And my first sermon may not have gone all that well, but it went better than the response to Jesus' sermon. Listen to this. This is Luke 4, verse 28 and following. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this, his sermon. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. As you can see, Jesus' story is not all up and to the right. There are challenges and setbacks. There are ominous hints about the future. And so he begins his ministry with challenge, but he leaves Nazareth and goes to a town called Capernaum. But before he enters into his ministry, these two events that I've shared with you about the devil's temptations and about this scene of almost being thrown off a cliff, uh, I wonder how those scenes play in Jesus' ministry as he continues on. Does he have those reminders of the past where those things have happened? Does he have this concern about what will happen in the days to come? This was a near-death experience in Jesus' life, right? Right? And I have to wonder how does that shape, and I want you to keep that in mind as we read the text a little bit later, because there's some things that Jesus says that are really bizarre. But I wonder if maybe these scenes are the reason for that. Some of you have had near death experiences. Some of you could come up on stage and tell harrowing stories and how God somehow brought you through the midst of those challenging experiences. I had one myself. It was my senior year of high school, and I was. Uh, I was dating a girl named Holly. She was beautiful, so beautiful, I decided to marry her later on. It's a We started dating in high school, and I remember one night, it was a late night, I was driving home from her house to my house, which was quite a ways, and... I took travel on 635, which I'm sure my parents were worried to death all the time about now that I have my own kids, but I remember getting on the road and I was driving, going home and it was late at night and I pull up to uh, this intersection and I'm I'm trying to turn left. There's a red arrow and so I'm waiting for the arrow to turn green and sure enough, the arrow turns green and I start out and all of a sudden there's a car that comes plowing through the intersection, hits my car. And Before I kind of am able to get a sense of what's going on and I I kind of wake up out of my daze my cars actually had flipped. I was, on, I was laying on my left shoulder, my driver's side on the ground. Uh, and so I, I was able, fortunately, to see the airbags had deployed. I was able to feel like I could still move around, no problem. And, and so I, I, I hit the, the window so that it would move down. And I actually crawled through the passenger side, which was up, that I had to climb through the top of the car, basically, to get out. And when, as I was getting out, I saw there were people that were running to the scene, running to my car. And and uh, they were able to help me and get me out. And I was able to kind of make sure that everything seemed like it was okay. And I was grateful. And I didn't know what had happened exactly, but the witnesses who were there said that this car came plowing through that intersection from somewhere between 60 and 80 miles per hour. This driver was a drunk driver late at night that was going home. And as I've reflected on that story, the funny part of that story actually, as it continues is, uh, I, I did something that night with Holly that. That she never lets me forget. I called because a guy had given me a cell phone to call uh, at that time. He had one and I didn't. And so I thought, you know, I don't know if I was going back to prison stories I'd seen on movies, but I I thought I had one call. So I, I didn't want to abuse this privilege of the phone. It cost more at that time, right? These are precious minutes. And so I called Holly on my phone and I said, hey, I'm okay. I just got in an accident. Here's the intersection. Would you call my parents and let them know I'm okay? She's always like, why? Call your parents. What are you doing calling me? Making me, you know, have this call. And fortunately, I was okay. The other driver ended up being okay after going to the hospital. But as I reflected on that the next morning, things became more clear. And there's clarity that happens if you've ever had an experience like this. Because all it would have taken was for me, what I ended up kind of rolling into him broadside. If I'd been one second ahead of that, he would plow right into my passenger door. And in those moments where those kind of things happen, you, you begin to kind of question, why was it that I was spared? What, what is it that God wants to write in my story in the future? What is it that is the reason that out of all those situations that maybe God decided to protect me? It was a miracle. I think I was a second away from losing my life. It's a moment I'll never forget. And I remember the feeling that next morning of waking up with this clarifying sense of God, what do you want me to do with my life? Suddenly my life was more precious. And while there are interpretations of that, an event like that, I, I, several that could be made, I I interpreted it as if God must have something important for my life. And as I say that, I also want to say a a caveat because what it can sound like is because I was spared that I hadn't lived out all my days and God had more for me to do as if to say on the other end that if someone's not and they've accomplished all they need to and God was done with their life. And I don't believe that's the case. So don't hear me say that this morning. But for me, waking up the next morning, there was this clarity. There was a sense of purpose. There was a sense of more To do, And I have to wonder, is that as Jesus leaves that scene in Nazareth with that near-death experience, if maybe that clarifies a little bit more the route that he's on as well in the days ahead, how precious life is, how important his ministry will be, and he doesn't know how much time that he'll have left. So Jesus walks away from Nazareth and he goes to Capernaum. And Capernaum's about an hour's drive from Nazareth today. It's, It's a fishing village on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, actually I've I've gotten the chance to to go to the sea of Galilee. um, And uh, I I was to tell you, I was a teenager at one point. I remember throwing rocks at birds from the sea of Galilee. That's what my memory from the sea of Galilee. And I I remember being in Capernaum and they actually have the, the, the the ruins of that synagogue in Capernaum where uh, a lot of the, the ministry would have happened in Jesus life. And so as I pick up on the story, it's, it's vivid in my mind, but I want you to imagine this scene. Jesus is left this near-death experience, and he goes to continue his ministry. Listen to what happens in verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. And he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and, and came and, and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words are these with authority and power? He gives orders to impure spirits. And they, they come out and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. How about that response? Much better than in Nazareth, right? News about Jesus is spreading. Or as we like to say in 2019, Jesus went viral at that point, right? Going viral, what does that mean? (laughs) Let me give you a definition. Going viral is uh, when an image or video or link that spreads rapidly on the internet, often through the avenue of social media. It's a phenomenon that happens when a large number of people see a story or a picture or a video and they share that over and over again, and all of a sudden it just kind of blows up online and everyone... Uh, sees it. It's amazing how sometimes in our world, everyone knows the same video. You talk about one video and everybody's seen it because of this. And if you're a business owner, you love the idea of, man, wouldn't it be great if our business went viral? If there was some story that happened that all of a sudden got word out that was good for us. In business, going viral is a win. It means the word is spreading about your product or your services. If you're a band or an author or a viral video, maybe the very thing that can launch your career in a whole new way I don't even need the record companies. If it happens through YouTube these days, it's a good thing, right? Going viral. Who wouldn't want to go viral? But I guess it depends on your goal. I'll come back to that a little bit later, but let's keep reading in verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them at sunset the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one. He healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Now that's quite a day's work. All those verses I've just read over the last two sections they seem to happen from beginning at that synagogue and the demon that's cast out of a man to going to Simon's house, probably Simon Peter here, Simon Peter's mother-in-law is healed, and then he heals multiple people with diseases. He starts casting more demons out of people. That's quite a day's work, but it's just another day with Jesus, isn't it? And so I want you to turn to uh, the next story, not uh, the calling of the disciples, the one after that where there's more healing that's to go on. Verse 12 is where I want to pick up. Let's read in chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. He cried, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Another story of healing. This time it's a leper that he heals and he heals this leper by touching him. This is a no, no, right? You don't touch lepers. Lepers are to remain their distance and stay away. That's a dangerous thing. These are incredible stories. These are the kind of stories that cause crowds to begin to gather. These are the kind of stories that go viral. In fact, can you imagine if Jesus, if this was the era of iPhones and people be marking down quotes all the time and sending them out with Jesus, they'd be uh, showing videos of these healings and these people who were paralyzed, getting up and walking. Imagine how fast things would spread. Things are going viral and that's a good thing, right? I mean, isn't that the goal? Because Jesus came to bring good news God wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of Him, a knowledge of the truth. But Jesus does something in each of these stories that would baffle any marketing expert. Did you notice it as we were reading along? It's counterintuitive what He tells each one of these beings or persons. In all three stories, Jesus tells someone or something to keep quiet about the testimony they have about their healing. In the first story, the the demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even when we don't know who God is, the demons do. Rest assured of that. And Jesus immediately tells the demon to be quiet. The second story, the demons say a similar thing. Listen to this again in verse, chapter 4, verse 41. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the Son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. Why is that? Because they knew he was the Messiah. That's odd. They know who he is, and yet he doesn't want them to speak. But it's not just demons he tells to be quiet. Third story, he orders this man who's been healed of leprosy not to tell anyone about his healing. This is actually a recurring theme in the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Mark. And we see it here in the Gospel of Matthew, this theme where Jesus heals, and then he tells people, I don't want you to tell anyone about what I've done for you. And if the goal is to get the message of the good news out, my question is why? Why this silence? Why this secret that Jesus wants to keep? It's counterintuitive because who doesn't want to go viral? If God wants to save all people, then what sense is there in this message of good news not getting out? That's just more people who are going to come. If people are being healed by the son of God, by the Messiah, wouldn't it be a good thing if the crowds heard about this and they came to follow Jesus as well? I've obsessed over this question over the last few weeks. Why? Why? Why does Jesus, who wants to get the good news out, want this good news to be kept silent? Why doesn't he enlist the demons in his evangelism program? Why doesn't he enlist this man who's been healed of leprosy in his evangelism program, his kingdom project? But that begs another question that my obsession led me to over the last couple of weeks. If you were to go viral, if you were to become famous, what would you do with that fame? I mean, let's say tomorrow that something happens, maybe you come up on the scene of an accident like mine and you salvage someone from the wreck and then news cameras get there and all of a sudden your name is all over the place. How would you use that kind of notoriety? What would you do? What would you call attention to? What's your message? What's your purpose that would come out in a moment like that? Why do we want to be famous? You know, with the advent and popularity of social media and reality television, there's been a spike in the number of people who are described as famous for being famous. You know who I'm talking about, right? These are celebrities who attain celebrity status for no particularly identifiable reason and appears to generate their own fame. Or someone who achieves fame through a family member in touch with a close friend or an existing celebrity. Malcolm Muggeridge may have been the first to actually use this phrase, famous for being famous, in 1967 in his book, Muggridge to the Microphone. Here's his quote. In the past, if someone was famous or notorious, it was for something as a writer or an actor or a criminal. For some talent or distinction or abomination. Today, one is famous for being famous an odd dynamic in our world. So why would you want to be famous? And if you became famous, how would you wield that influence? How would you use it for good? And As I've been thinking about that question, I, I'm thinking back to Jesus because Jesus has a purpose in mind. Jesus has a goal in mind that he's trying to accomplish And I think we are so blinded with the belief that more is always better that we forget an important principle that should drive our lives. And that principle is this your why should determine your how. Let me say that again your why should determine your how. Your purpose or your goal or the end with which your life is driving toward ought to determine the purpose that you have and the way you carry that out, the path that you go on. And and sometimes we're much more focused on the how question rather than the why question. And that's why if we wound up famous one day, we might not know what to say in that moment or how to wield that because our main thing is to get famous or it's to achieve fame or to achieve success in some way. But if we were to achieve that, I don't know if we know the why that we're living for. I think Jesus has a why I think Jesus has a clear why. And I think that shapes why he responds in the way he does in these scenes by telling people, would you be quiet? So what is the best way to accomplish Jesus? Why? Again, we're taught that bigger is better. And it's easy to assume that the best thing Jesus could do would be to draw how many ever people he could to draw a big crowd who will follow him around Israel. And if the crowd spreads this message, that only means that more people are going to follow. But what we forget is there is a significant difference between people who are fans of Jesus and people who are followers of Jesus. If you just were to take a concordance and look at the, every time the the word crowd shows up in the gospels, it's not all that positive when there's a big crowd that comes around. Crowds are fickle. They come and go. Many of them are there for the spectacle. They're there for the show. They hear that Jesus has fed five thousand. He ends up feeding four thousand more another time. They're there to see the spectacle, to be fed by Jesus, to see the miraculous signs. But Jesus is not interested in drawing crowds. He's interested in making disciples. Jesus is looking for true followers. He's looking for a group of disciples who will be willing to give up their lives, in fact, for the sake of the kingdom of God. Remember, there was a crowd in Nazareth, and they wanted to throw him off the cliff. And later on in the story, when he enters into Jerusalem for his final week, there's a crowd there that shouts, Hosanna. And they lay down palm branches, but not even a week later, their cry sounds far different. The crowds chant, crucify him. The same one they cried out to save them just a week before. Jesus is not playing a short game. It's a long game. He knows that if he draws attention from Herod, he won't last long before he's killed. And he's got a bigger purpose because he knows I can make much more of a difference with 12 people who are fully committed to the message, who are able to see the healings that I do and are willing to give their lives one day as martyrs than I could do with a stadium full of people who are there to see a show. And he needs time with these 12, rather than creating weekend retreat and crusade after crusade, trying to draw people into stadiums. And all of that's gotten me thinking about my why. Why do I exist? What's my purpose? What is it that if I were to somehow go viral, all of a sudden, that would be the message that I would share. And and whatever my why was should shape my path. It should shape my how. And the same is true for every one of you. We all, as families and as individuals, know, need to know what our purpose is. We need to know what our mission is. We need to know where we're headed so that we can know how to get there. And some of us, when we don't know our why, all we can think about is if we could just draw a crowd... If we could just get the success, if we could just get to the, this position, the problem is if we were to get those things without being formed in the image of Jesus and knowing our, why we would make a mess of things, wouldn't we? And then I got to think about us as a church, what's Greenville Oaks? Why, why do we exist? Is our goal to build a church full of thousands of fans of Jesus? There are plenty of churches that make that a clear goal. Or is it our goal, is it our why to gather fully devoted followers of Jesus who are willing to go to the mat to do anything it takes to stay with it no matter what, to follow Jesus, even if it means persecution. Sometimes persecution is the very sign that we're blessed. That's what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. That we're sure that suffering will come as followers of Jesus. So who do we want to be as a church? Just want to keep counting crowds of people that come? Do anything we can to get them or do we want to follow the great commission of Jesus? says we're called to make disciples, followers of Jesus. And if we're going to make disciples, that means we've got to first be disciples ourselves. Are we in this for the short term or for the long term? Here's a challenging question for the church in North America. America has experienced a long season of religious freedom. And I got to tell you, I am grateful for that freedom. And gratitude is the only response for what we're able to do that many across the world don't. I think it's a gift to be grateful for. But if we're not careful with that gift, complacency can often be the response to it. We grew up in a generation before us that didn't know it and they appreciated it. And the next generation just comes to expect that status quo. It's what we'll always be. So here's my question. If church attendance became illegal before next Sunday, would you show up again next week? I mean, if the threat was really there that what we gathered to do next week was going to be a cost to you or to your family, maybe your kids might be taken from you because they find out that we're following Jesus and that's what's there, would, would you still be in on this or, or are you really just one of the crowds coming for a show? I think the call of Jesus is for us not to be people who are here for the show, but who are here to become disciples, amen? And I sense we're a, a church that wants to be that. And sometimes we don't know how, and sometimes we get caught up in other concerns. That parable of the soil is one of those stories that reminds us that sometimes it's the worries of this life that choke out the faith that's been planted. There's all kinds of things that can take faith away from us. But I want us to be known as a church that will be here next Sunday if that reality becomes a reality. We're not just concerned about how we draw big numbers, but are interested in the quanti- not just the quantity, but the quality of the disciples that we're calling together. So I wonder if that's maybe a question that we all need to sort through this week. I think there's a reason why Jesus didn't take that, those examples and say, Hey, tell everyone you can about this. Cause he knew that the goal was not to create a crowd of people that would come to see signs. He was looking for disciples who were willing to give up everything to follow him. Cause the only way thing, this way, this thing would spread to North America, eventually thousands of years later, as if there were committed people who were willing to give up everything on behalf of this journey. Jesus had a clear why. And it was to make disciples of all nations. And it was to take those 12 and it was to pour into them, hoping they'd be willing to give up everything. And in the end, as history tells us at least 11 of those 12 gave up their lives on behalf of this. Jesus succeeded for the why that he had wanted to accomplish through the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God that he did. Because that's the reason that we're here. I'm so glad he chose not to just do miracles and just let the message spread but he was committed to walking with people and making them disciples. And it's our job to do the very same thing. What I want to do is I want to thank you right now. I want to thank you for the ways that you are praying into your children and into your grandchildren and and sowing those seeds in your life so that faith can be planted that will sustain through the hardest of times. I want to thank you for those testimonies and examples where in the past, it would have been easy to have given up on faith. And sometimes you wonder why you're still here. I want to thank you for continuing to show up because what you're doing is you're planting a harvest of righteousness that can be harvested in the generations to come. I want to thank those of you right now who know that the harvest is few and you're willing to go out and plant seeds that you won't be able to see growth in. You'll only be able to hear when heaven comes the impact that they have. Those things matter are why. Determines our how. We want to be a church that makes disciples. Amen. It Plants people firmly in the the, the soil of faith and doesn't let them budge in the midst of struggles that come. Sometimes we need that help from others to remind us that's commitment we've made because there's hard times that show up. Let us be that kind of church. Amen. Let's pray as we close this morning. God, I thank you that you saw fit to silence demons and lepers through Jesus that you weren't on some kind of martyr journey that would end in a few weeks because you just wanted to do everything possible to get the word out. And then it would just be kind of left in the soil uh, to be pulled out by other forces. But God, you spent time with 12 men. You spent time with 12, 500 or so who showed up with you after the resurrection that heard of your stories That you built this community that lasted long past your life on earth. I thank you for your son, Jesus, who had that vision and saw that. And God, my prayer this morning is that we would not be a people who have a short-term vision. Who just see our lives and see the success and fame that we can create and accumulate. And don't even know why we exist for that how. But God, I pray that we would have a clear sense of what our purpose is. That we would be a people of the Great Commission. That we'd be a Great Commission church, God, that would continue with this message that it continues into the next generation and beyond. God, I pray right now for uh, each generation in our church and for the important role that each one plays. I pray for our youngest ones right now that we're trying to pass faith on to. God, may we be examples to them of faith that's rooted strongly. And I pray that they would take what we have given to them and they would take it beyond our wildest imaginations to continue the radical faith of Jesus Christ that you want to continue into the next century. God, may we be a church where that launches from throughout this world, throughout this country, throughout this city, throughout this county. God, whoever you're stirring hearts this morning, I just imagine there's one or two that are saying, this is what I want my life to be about, and I don't quite know how to do it. Would you help them take the next steps? Would you help them come to us with their vision so that we might see ways we can do this more and more in the days ahead? We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus this morning, the powerful name of Jesus, who silenced demons who could have told this story, and yet this story is with us because of that choice. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you in your walk to find real significance in Jesus. Connect with us on Facebook. You can find and like our page at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.